Hi, everyone. Welcome to News and Brews Sports Biz, our podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm Ken Kerbzel. And I'm Katie Davis. Joining us today is Wally Crittenden, Associate AD for Business Development and Revenue Generation at Stephen F. Austin State University. Welcome, Wally. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Wally's known for his innovative approaches to ticketing, development, merchandising, licensing, and tokenizing of digital assets, and his work includes minting the first ever Collegiate Athletics NFT. Uh, we are really excited about this episode, and we're going to provide more context into the many questions that a lot of you have been asking about blockchain and tokenization, NFTs, et cetera, within the college athletic space. So thanks again for joining us, Wally. Um, would you mind by starting off, uh, just tell us a little bit about your career path and background, including what got you into the digital asset space? Sure. So from a career path, uh, probably have a non-traditional path to, to this chair. Um, previously, uh, I was a college soccer coach. Uh, I was an assistant coach at uh, Oklahoma, Nebraska, A&M, and then became the head coach here at Stephen F. in 2013 and uh, was the head soccer coach here until 2019. And at that time, transitioned into this uh, director of ticketing uh, and licensing role. And throughout that time, uh, I've had a, a technology company on the side that's allowed me to really identify areas and opportunities in college athletics that may, may be underserved and to, to have a, a mechanism or a platform to, in, to invest in, in solutions to those problems. And that really led uh, me down a path from aggregating uh, digital assets that were currently within our college athletic department walls, whether they were on flash drives, computer hard drives, lesson plans that coaches may use at camps that can help our, our area recreational programs. And so it was really looking for uh, non-traditional revenue lines. And that started back at Nebraska back in 2008 and uh, led to just a way of thinking about our internal assets a little differently maybe than people have in the past. And little did I know that uh, sometime around 2018, uh, cryptocurrency and, and tokenizing assets were, were really going to begin to make their run. And uh, we had the platform and the mindset in place to think of things uh, that I think could utilize and incorporate cryptocurrency um, and tokenizing these digital assets. So that brings you, brings you up to date. Great. Um, yeah, so I think that's really fascinating. And let's take a step back for a minute. Um, when you and I last talked, I mentioned to you before, my mind was expanded <laughs> as I've learned more about this space, um, both just debunking some of the common myths about NFTs, as well as putting some of these new and unusual terms into like tangible examples. So I guess first, could you define some of the terms that are commonly used like blockchain, wallet, social tokens versus NFTs, what's an exchange in a secondary market? Um, and then also, would you address some of the common myths around NFTs and other tokens? Sure. So I think uh, one of the easiest ways to think about blockchain is a distributed ledger, um, which I think people can iterate on that and think about that in any numerous ways. Um, but it's the idea that instead of having one centralized uh, internet service provider, ISP for short, um, if you were able to take that and create an incentive-based model for all of the users of that traditional network, which you, know, you may have different networks across the country, ISPs, 
But if you were able to incentivize that and, and to have it where it was a decentralized uh, consensus protocol, in other words, uh, a, a decentralized way to approve history and transactions that are occurring that in many cases can alleviate the need for a middleman. Uh, that would allow for um, participation and for network effect really to take to take shape. Uh, and so you can get technical with your definition for what blockchain really is. But I tell you what, there's a, there's a lot of ways that blockchain can be pretty similar and to what people are calling Web 2 uh, compared to Web 3, which really, in my opinion, one of the big differentiators in Web 2 and Web 3 is incentivizing the community participation for helping run a network. Um, if you want to kind of keep it in simplified terms there. Now, part of participating on this network is typically having a token that can fuel transactions um, on this network. And so in order to have that network's token, you likely need to have a wallet in order to participate. Now, that wallet can do some really amazing things. Um, how that wallet is integrated into that uh, network solution um, is, is where there's a lot of variety and a lot of different options at this point. There are options out there that from the second you log in, uh, you're, you're on-chain. And then there are options out there that allow for off-chain um, tracking and transactions to occur uh, until uh, a certain validation point is triggered uh, for an on-chain transaction. So there's all kinds of different models out there. Uh, the chain that we've spent most of our time participating on uh, uses what's called a delegated proof of stake consensus mechanism, which basically means that not only um, is it a, a, a delegated format where we have different people who run what's called nodes. Again, you can replace nodes with uh, servers if you were running your own server, in other words. Um, but people that, that would participate in that can be elected to be validators of, of different transactions that occur on the chain, because again, it's decentralized all over the world. These nodes or these servers would be run and managed. Um, and then proof of stake means that you're able to participate in the network based on the amount of uh, token uh, of that network that you have staked on chain. And uh, we can get even, even more technical if you like, but it all boils down to basically having a wallet that allows you to interact uh, with that chain for on-chain transactions. When you talk about a marketplace, when you talk about secondary marketplaces, you have what's, from an NFT standpoint, what's known as NFT mentor sites or mentor dApps, and they will allow you to mint NFTs uh, by connecting your wallet in some cases. And in some cases, you don't even need to have a wallet. And that's where I think things are headed. And we can talk about that here um, throughout the conversation. But the idea that uh, you have a primary purchase uh, point of sale, which we would call the marketplace, and then you have a, a secondary marketplace, which could be managed and run um, for secondary resale of these uh, digital tokens, whether they are social tokens or whether they're NFTs. And I can talk about what I view the differences between those two from a basic standpoint. So hopefully that gives you a little snapshot. Uh, I, think, I think in many cases, once you get your, your, your mind wrapped around this way of thinking, you'll actually realize that in, in many cases, you're already interacting with Web 2 and Web 3 principled solutions. Uh, it's just a matter of how you articulate it and the terminology behind it. Yeah, so Wally, one of the things that we talked about was how um, one of the common myths was that NFTs are collectibles. It's your 
works of art and your baseball cards, but, um, you know, could you debunk that a little bit and explain more about what you could do with an NFT? Sure. So I think from an NFT standpoint, first and foremost, it's, it's non-fungible, right? And, and so I think when, when you get to that uh, terminology and when you, you take a step back and you say your vehicle identification number, your VIN number, in many cases, is an NFT. It's non-fungible. It may not be a token, but it's a non-fungible asset, right? Um, when you look at your email address, uh, you know, typically letter by letter all the way through your, your root domain, uh, your email address is your unique token to have messages sent and delivered to you personally and not to anyone else uh, in the world based on that unique email address. And so the idea that that we have actually been uh, inter interacting with non-fungible assets or non-fungible products um, from a consumer standpoint for, for quite a while, that's not anything new. Um, I think what's new is the idea that we can take that approach and we can actually tokenize a digital asset with that same approach. And that's pretty exciting. But I'll also tell you that um, this mentality with, with having a digital footprint for assets would be along the similar lines of, you know, why, why was there a major push in college athletics to have uh, department websites? Because athletic departments realized that there was a lot of content there was a lot of maybe uh, assets, digital assets like video and photo that could be put into a digital website that could then generate views, click-throughs, perhaps help uh, with conversions of online sales. So the idea that you would have a digital aggregating tool for, for all of these assets is not new because we, we all have websites for our athletic departments. I mean, very, very... Uh, many websites out there and, and great companies doing great things with that. So, so then we take a step further and say, well, instead of if we were to basically have this digital landing page for all of our assets, well, what if, what if we wanted to tokenize only one of those assets? Well, we could do that. We could do that with a traditional paywall as well. Um, and that's something that's not new. What's new is that when you tokenize that asset, you're able to drill down and have a paywall approach that also allows the person who buys it to have some custody of that tokenized asset, that token representation of that same image that they could have right-clicked and saved on the website, the same image that perhaps they could have paid a $20 a month subscription in a traditional paywall setting uh, approach, uh, now we can actually tokenize that one asset and that person can resell that asset. And so that's, that's pretty exciting and, and can be empowering, um, but it doesn't have to be a collectible. Uh, what I would say is that um, a collectible is something that someone else maybe uh, also shares that you're assigning value to and you're assigning value to the uniqueness of it. Uh, and so I would say that that, that perhaps is, is kind of a longer answer on, the, the approach with NFTs really isn't new. It's how we're framing it, how we're structuring it, and how we're wrapping it in something that allows someone individually to own. That's uh, fascinating. Wally, would you say that um, maybe philosophically, is Stephen F. Austin approaching the digital asset space and all the initiatives in this from a, a standpoint of revenue generation or really more for fan engagement, brand awareness, things of that, or maybe a little bit of both? 
I would say it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I would say that most of our conversations to date, uh, revenue has been a secondary um, point of concern. Uh, the primary is, you know, what, what do we have in our coffers right now that if we were to bring back to top of mind to our fan base that they would want to participate in a digital environment with, right? Some of those are video highlights. Uh, some of those are, are physical ownership um, through a digital license, which we can talk about here in a minute as well. Um, and so from our standpoint, really fan engagement, you know, student engagement, um, you know, people have talked about the fact that your diploma may, may be an NFT. And certainly I think there's a use case and there's utility down the road for that. But from our standpoint, something we may be more inclined to launch in the short term, uh, and this is a little, a little tidbit, a little nugget for, for those listening, but you know, we have our, our centennial celebration, our 100-year celebration that starts next January. It's very likely that we could have some kind of ramp up that involves uh, a mascot iteration from the decades previously that could be a token and or a pen that could allow for um, collecting each one of those 10-week uh, example art, art pieces that would allow for some kind of prize at the end uh, when we launch our 100th centennial celebration. And so from our standpoint, there's very little revenue generation in the, in the, the token moment itself, but all the peripheral revenue generation that would occur in brand management, uh, that, that's what we're most excited about. Well, that's great. And that segues well into my next question, which was maybe just some specific ex tangible examples of uh, how you're doing this at Stephen F. Austin. Um, Katie already alluded to in the intro to you, the, the first NFT, uh, you know, within collegiate athletics, maybe, maybe some other examples that, that you might have. Sure. So uh, from an NFT standpoint, um, minting them and, and, and rolling them into folding them in, I guess is a better way to say, into our overall strategy. Um, I would tell you that we, we did the first NFT uh, back in March of 21, and that was uh, to celebrate our Lady Jacks winning the Southland Conference Tournament, and they moved into the NCAAs. And you know, we, we had talked about that moment and capturing that micro moment is how we would refer to that, capturing that micro moment probably a week to 10 days prior and as we tracked and got closer and closer to that moment, our smart contracts, I got those ready to go. We had a platform ready that would, would be able to kind of settle and satisfy our fan base in the need for, for interacting with this moment. And so then when our Lady Jacks took care of business and, uh, and we're fortunate to win that title on that Sunday, actually minted that token in the arena. Um, and then by the time I got halfway home and stopped to get lunch, we had already had people buy them. It was actually dinner. We already had people buy them and so was able was able to actually fulfill some of those token purchases from the dinner table uh, out uh, on the way back uh, to Nacogdoches. So um, that was the first experience that we'd had. And then that led to uh, digital physical bundles. So we've actually reached out to uh, licensed vendors uh, of our department that are doing great things from a T-shirt or from a hat standpoint. And we created these uh, bundles that would celebrate these moments that would also include uh, whether it's a hat or a t-shirt, um, to get a physical item along with it. What I, what I will tell you is, is on the horizon is I could see a very, very real solution that we are ideating on right now where we could actually tokenize um, you know, a section of our court, our basketball court, ahead of a redesign. Uh, it could be a three-foot-by-three-foot block that you're able to purchase year, year and a half, two years even, before we actually 
uh, change over that court. But when we do, you actually own a digital, you have a digital license to own that part of the court that's numbered and corresponds to your limited one of one NFT. Why would you do that? Well, one that allows us to pre-sale and allows us to track and fulfill at a really, really seamless level. But it also allows for if there is fan demand, when that inventory of those court pieces um, are all allocated and sold out, it actually allows for our fans to, to resell those in a secondary marketplace environment uh, when, when demand is the highest, as opposed to waiting for that physical court to actually get there before they went and resold it somewhere. Uh, I think that's a very real solution that we are, we are ideating on um, as we speak. That's great. Well, I think with the basketball court, it's, um, you know, it's helping to fund the, you know, the project of putting down the new court too. I mean, maybe not entirely, of course, but, you know, any additional revenue and cash flow that's coming in only helps. It, it doesn't hurt for sure. Um, could you also uh, quickly share, you've talked to me previously about um, how you can convert some of these social tokens into tickets using, um, you know, as a currency and how, how your fans or maybe even students um, can access these tokens and then use them in lieu of cash down the road. Absolutely. So I think that when you talk about on-chain environments, right, um, a lot of people are talking about NFTs and NFTs are special. Um, they have a chance to be transformative. Um, but I do believe that as valuable as they are, they're not even the most valuable aspect uh, of a, a truly mapped out blockchain ecosystem. Uh, first, uh, I would say that uh, even, even more valuable than the NFTs from a day one type rollout would be social tokens. And just so we're clear, depending on who you talk to, people will argue that NFTs are also social tokens because they are community building tokens. Um, and certainly, I think that's not a flawed you know, uh, approach or, or position. For me, and having to figure out a way to communicate this to our fan base, which we did a lot of market research. You know, we were Back in 2018, we were using what I'm referring to as social tokens in venue. And we were sitting down with our fans saying, what do you like? What do you not like? Uh, could you see yourself using this? And, and so that led to kind of our vocabulary and our language, uh, which certainly other people you know, may have var variations of. But in, in our in our approach, a social token is something that is not a smart contract enabled token. NFT is a smart contract enabled token uh, because of what you can do uh, with NFTs, uh, the uniqueness um, and the programmable aspect of those. Uh, we have social tokens that, that there are smart contract enabled brand identifying tokens. Uh, the ones that we use are not. And the reason behind that is because they require less bandwidth, they require less energy to transact. And so why that's important is, you know, as someone who's operating a venue that may have four or 5,000 people in it, uh, getting them in and out um, and having them in a position where they might come in venue, we would then airdrop social tokens to them that they could then redeem at the concession stand at a retail point of sale or even at our box office for additional tickets as they're leaving without providing any congestion or, or kind of slowing our, our, uh, our exit. And so uh, how you integrate both of those uh, is pretty important. 
the social token that I'm referring to, um, I've, I've done some various demos on social that you can you can follow and 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 basically it allows you to integrate into our ticket system by simply adding that pay mode. So along with Visa, uh, Mastercard, American Express, it would say whatever the name of your branded token is. And that's a five minute update. Uh, into your existing point of sale. And then you have a QR code that is a receiving wallets QR code. It can be a two inch by two inch QR code that you have on your window. So there's no other heavy lifting. There's no other system changes that you have to integrate. And so then as you walk up with your social tokens, because they're so fast as in they process on, on the chain that we use, it processes in under a second. It's faster than a credit card. Uh, and it allows you to actually have not a comp redemption. So it would not be a comp ticket, but you would actually be able to track it um, on the number of social tokens redeemed. So in your reporting, when you're balancing, and when you're trying to figure out how many of these have we actually allowed to be redeemed for rewards points or tokens, uh, you're not guessing and, and you're certainly not issuing comp tickets, which is a whole nother from a player pass management standpoint. You definitely don't want to confuse uh, comp tickets with rewards, uh, eligible redeemed tokens, right? And so um, that allows you to have really kind of a, a two-piece uh, approach to how you integrate. And um, our approach is going to have social tokens redeeming for NFTs as well, uh, which we will actually sell through our ticket system. That's something that we're going to announce pretty soon is that we're rolling in uh, the opportunity to, to buy NFTs um, through our ticket platform. And that's fascinating. And, um, you know, you did touch on, you know, steps you've taken to make sure the process is pretty simple as possible for the end user. And, and I actually got online to Purple Lights Vault um, and set up a wallet and I went right. through the process. And then, of course, I stopped in the marketplace because there were options and I couldn't decide <laughs> which one I wanted to get. Sure. Um, so I'm still in the process, but it's um, really been fascinating for me to see just the care that you all have taken in that area. Um, and so um, I guess, what are there any other specific steps as you took that care just to make sure it was as simple as possible? Because I know not all of them are very straightforward or simple. Yeah, and, and I will tell you that that is the, the wallet integration piece. That is, in my opinion, probably the, the most stressful part of the entire process. And so we had a couple different options when we rolled out our own branded shop front. The first is we could have um, utilized existing wallets out there like MetaMask and some other Chrome browser extensions. And from our standpoint, when we talk to fans, and again, we built our our platform, not for the crypto enthusiast. We built our platform uh, for the seven out of 10 that they just want to have something they can set up once. They want to be able to buy. They want to be able to look and interact with it. They may want to be able to give it to their grandkids. They're really not interested from our market research. They're really not even interested in putting it on a secondary marketplace either. And so that's one of the reasons we've held on rolling out our marketplace solution, because we want to make sure that first and foremost, we need people to have a really good first experience. Um, and frankly, you don't even have to have a wallet set up to purchase an NFT on our site. Our team will walk you through that if you need that help. Um, but the good thing is you only have to set it up once and it's not a browser extension. 
You create and connect a wallet right there within your site. So there's very little security risk about perhaps going to a, a malicious site or something that, that maybe our crypto enthusiasts aren't even aware of red flags to look at when connecting external wallets to, to third-party sites. So we, we tried to insulate it as much as we could. Uh, where we stopped short is we do feel that having a wallet address is very important to the process. We also feel that having a wallet that supports both NFTs, as many of them do, and social tokens, which very few do, mm. is very important to helping clients build an ecosystem that allows for a virtual benefit to transfer onto a in real life, localized on-campus benefit. If you don't have the ability to move your assets around to redeem them on campus, well, I think you lose a lot of the localized in-person uh, opportunities that you have there. And so that was where we spent really most of our integration uh, time, efforts, and resources. And then the fact that we wanted to be able to scale it uh, so that not every athlete would only get an NFT, but every athlete could have their own branded NFT shop front where they could sell T-shirts next to private lessons, next to NFTs. And so it allows them in a very simple WordPress environment to have their own site within minutes. Um, and so the scalability issue, those two, the wallet interface and the scalability, that's where we spend most of our time. So as far as... Um you know, all the care and thought and due diligence that you've put into this. I think that's fantastic um, because I know the speed at which things move within higher education can sometimes be a little slow. So I, I think that's incredible. And, you know, I know it probably would have taken the same kind of thought and care and proactivity as for getting buy-in on campus. So could you talk a little bit about that process as far as you know, who you got involved and all the things you kind of had to think through and, and maybe even some of your business case talking points as to what's in it for them um, and what's in it for the university, why you want to go that way. Sure. So um, I would say you buy in on campus and this kind of dates what we've been doing. I mean, really, those conversations started in the middle of 2018. And so when you talk about how fast the uh, technology sector really moves, um, how fast higher ed uh, moves, it gives you an idea that not only were we back in this space in 18, but when you look at most of the other NFT solutions out there, and there are some companies doing some amazing stuff, I've not found another one that has both support for NFT and social token, and those social tokens are not listed on exchanges which is a whole nother um, kind of point of, of caretaking that you mentioned that it was very important to us that, that we didn't um, have any risk that our fan engagement could result in anything that could be deemed as a security because there's an intent or an expectation of, of value, right? Of, of changing value. And so everything that we have done, uh, we don't have a secondary marketplace right now while we wait for that to kind of shake out. We don't have any of our social tokens listed on exchanges, which I think is very important to protect our fans, because what we don't want is we don't want to dupe them into, um, you know, tax events because they're they're exchanging and they're they're um, getting assets that potentially could change in value, right? Or the expectation that they could. The fact is, they can't exchange any of ours for a dollar. They can only exchange them for what we define from a from a a, a retail or, or reward standpoint. And so that conversation happened back in 18, 
very, very early. We had multiple meetings and still have multiple meetings with our legal department on campus, really just making sure they're aware of what we're doing. From an athletic department standpoint, uh, there's, there's been great response, great feedback. Um, it's been one of those, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to house this under your third party company. We're going to make sure that that company is, is what is really absorbing any kind of exposure that we have from our athletics department, from our university side. These are all supplemental fan engagements. When you look at what the true exposure is, once you've removed some of those other elements that are at the core of some other businesses out there right now, but once you remove the core of some of those stressors, really the exposure is very, very little. Um, and so it was, it was important to have those conversations. It was also important around our community and with our fan base. And so it required sitting in the stands with our fans. And one of the first things they came up with is I don't like having to use a third party wallet. I want an SFA wallet. Okay. Well, we built that into the site. The second thing is, they said they didn't like all the spam tokens that they get. Um, these are random tokens, kind of like spam email that they would get. And so we made sure that we put in functions, functionality rather, um, that would allow for whitelisting only the tokens that our brand uh, wants, wants our fans to interact with. And so really it became very clear really quickly that we, we had to view this as a brand management tool and not a crypto tool, um, which I think Many of the companies out there to this point have been viewing this integration in this market as a crypto market. And, and from our standpoint, it's a fan engagement market and you need to build your brand because of this piece that you, you fit into your overall market plan. Uh, it's certainly a lot of smart steps that you all um, put in place in, in bringing it uh, into, into your own market. Um, you touched on this a little bit before, but could you expand on maybe what opportunities you see for involving your student athletes in the process of digital assets? Absolutely. So I think, I think when it comes to our student athletes, I think there's a lot of opportunity. We have to be very careful with uh, protecting the athlete. We also have to be very careful in protecting the fan that's supporting the athlete. And uh, from our standpoint, uh, one of the first things we want to do is we want to make sure that um, we start off with a centralized aggregated shop front for an athletic department so that our athletes could be um, classified under different sports and you could buy NFTs for any of our athletes. Uh, the chain that we build on, uh, the, the ability to and integrate that into our branded shop front uh, is very, very cost affordable. I mean, it's something that is not going to um, cause departments to shy away um, and to be concerned. It's, it's also to the point where um, if, you, if you position it correctly, and some of this uh, involves staking for a department, which we can talk about if you would like later, um, but if you, if you were to position your department in that way, you could actually do many of this, uh, much of this for no additional charge, no cost, which allows you to, to capture profit and revenue on the front end from the day one, from the first one you sell. And so uh, when sequenced properly, uh, I think it can be really, really great for our athletes. Uh, but I also think there's another step there, you know, and that step is that those athletes that want to have their own branded shop front, those athletes that want to be in an e-commerce environment, um, I think they need to have a solution. And I think the solution needs to be something that could be set up for them in minutes and that could be skinned and, and tailored to, to what their goals are and, and who their brand, uh, what their brand has become. And that's where I think, again, uh, our solution from a WordPress plugin 
it's, 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 a, it's a very good solution to scale so that every athlete, if they wanted, uh, could have their own branded shop front. And so, um, you know, something I thought was fascinating when we talked previously about this in the NIL space is that, you know, an athlete could partner with a third party and that third party could attach to that athlete's NFT. And that could be another way for athletes to earn. Um, could you talk a little more about that? Absolutely. So the approach that, that we've taken from the very beginning is that we are a tokens as a service provider. Um, we, are, we are not an NIL uh, tool. Um, we are a tool for the athlete. We are a tool for the athletic department. In fact, our tool resides uh, at Stephen F. under the advancement arm. So it's an internal platform. It is not a third-party retail NIL-driven platform. Um, the tokens that we meant, we meant at the request after conversation with internal requests with our department personnel. Okay. And so that's a whole nother approach because most everything to this point has been retail driven, third party retail driven. And there's an internal component that I think, uh, as people get more and more aware of the utility, they'll, they'll begin to gravitate towards. And so from our standpoint, we want the athlete if they want to have NFTs and if they want to sell them next to t-shirts and private lessons and whatever else they're doing on their NIL platform, we want to make sure they have the tools to do that. Um, we're not going to co-brand it with them. Uh, they can go search out um, that, that vendor that they want to, or that partner they want to co-brand with. We just want to help them with the solution. We want to make sure that it's, it works. We want to make sure it's fun for their fans. We want to make sure it's a light lift for the athletes um, and for the departments. And then we want to make sure there's a customer service component there to follow up on because many of these athletes, that's where there's going to be some variety, right, is in the customer service and the attention post-sale. And so we want to make sure that fulfillment is at a very high level. And, uh, and that's the service component that we bring. No, I think, I think this is all really great. And I know you've already shared a lot of advice and tidbits just as you've been talking, but for schools interested in exploring these options, um, you know, if you're talking to an athletic department, um, you know, someone that works in the development office or the ticket office or the business office, which is our primary, um, you know, audience of this podcast, um, what kind of advice would you give for them that you haven't already shared? And then, you know, maybe include in that any lessons learned that you've kind of come across along your journey? Sure. I, I think the first one is that if someone comes across and tells you that there's only one way to do something, I would, I would be cautious. Um, there are several different chains that support smart contracts. Some chains are more efficient uh, and cost-effective than others. I think people can do some research and come across some that, that, uh, that right away you say, man, I can't, I can't afford, I can't, I can't have our fans pay $50 in gas for a $5 NFT, right? Um, if I can't do airdrops in venue, which is basically a multi-send where you send tokens to everyone in there, if you can't do that efficiently, then that's probably something you need to look to solve. Um, but I, but I think there's all kinds of ways to do this, uh, and be successful. I think that we need to recognize that there is a very robust collectibles vein right now in this, in this segment. Um, some companies doing some amazing things, uh, and I'm participating in several of them as fans. Um, but I also think there's a utility and an advancement piece to this and an NIL piece to this that um, how you solve that uh, could be done in any number of ways. 
Um, so that's the first thing I would suggest, right? Is that, hey, don't get you know backed into a corner. There's not only one solution. Um, the other thing I would say is you need to reach out to people that are doing it and, and to have conversations with people that have put their professional reputations on the line in the athletics uh, segment. And while there may not be many in that regard that also have a tech solution to, to provide you as an option, um, you know, I'm, I'm always one that, that uh, will speak as unbiased as I can about some of the great positives and negatives with some other solutions out there. And I think people who have reached out will tell you the best kind of feedback I give along with our solution. Um, but I think there are a lot of people out there that have um, positioned a product or a solution that aren't viewing it as an athletic department, um, you know, perspective. I mean, they're, I think they're viewing it from a, a um, private business perspective. I think they're viewing it from a crypto centric perspective. Um, but I think as an athletic administrator, there are certain things that we all know our fans are going to call us about certain things. And uh, there's no third party that's going to help solve that initial phone call to the ticket office or to the development office. And so I think solutions need to be built that, you know, can help for those people in those offices to answer questions um, and to answer them quickly so that we're not spending time about something that we have no idea, you know, what's going on. Right. And so those are probably the two biggest things I would say is make sure you talk to people that have done it. Make sure you, you think about the athletic administrator perspective and the fan perspective and not just the enterprise and or the crypto centric perspective. Mm -hmm. um, those are probably the two pieces I would, of advice I would offer. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, in addition to that, there are just some additional business case talking points that probably similar to what you've presented or even learned and discovered and worked through as you're, you know, starting this out and doing some beta testing and use cases and, you know, some examples um, probably, um, you know, are, are different ways you can maybe share revenues between multiple parties and, and what the transaction looks like, because maybe your campus CFO is going to want to know that or someone in your business office or, um, you know, the fact that, you know, for every transaction you're doing using with a social token, maybe you're avoiding credit card processing fees. And what does that look like? And, um, you know, other time studies, you talked about the efficiency of the technology and, you know, is some of that minting faster than, um, you know, I think you have even shared an example with me previously of, you know, minting is faster than drafting an email. Uh, it can so be, absolutely. I, yeah. And so I think a lot of those are really fascinating. And, um, one of the other things you shared with me is, you know, that you get an artist involved um, when you're uh, creating these NFTs. And I guess, could you share some of the reasons behind that, um, you know, kind of some of the restrictions that that artist helps you get around? And then also what the revenue share piece could look like when you contract with these third parties? Sure. So, again, with with our um, assets being primarily requested and discussed in-house, we have the opinion that many of those assets we already have custody over within our athletic department walls. Um, so from a licensing standpoint, um, not sure that, that we need to get every one of those moments licensed because they're an internal production. Okay. And specifically what I'm referring to there is any kind of video that's captured by any of our creative team any kind of uh, graphics that are built by our creative team, 
we're taking those assets that many departments have all through their coffers and we're actually tokenizing those, right? To create value and really perpetual value for our fans. Um, because as you know, the social media climate today with as much content as we are putting out as a department, even some of the best graphics, even some of the most watershed moments, they disappear from the top of mind so quickly because of how, how much content we're, we're churning out. And so we wanted to make sure we could capture that content and we could recycle it and potentially revenue generate on it, right? But then you have certainly your broadcast rights and, and other licensable um, type moments that um, we, we chose to go with an artist for our Duke moment um, because we felt that was a moment that we could target a player that we wanted to benefit from the NIL piece. Um, and we didn't want to blur faces. We didn't want to um, use some of the in-house, I would say, amateur footage that was caught that was non-broadcast related, right? Uh, and then, frankly, that was an away game. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure we have rights to any of that video uh, that was that was captured. And so we had an artist iterate and create their own version of that moment. Uh, and I think it's consistent with an artist who would create a painting uh, of a moment. Um, and so that artist, uh, we went into a, a several party agreement, a four party agreement, to be fair, with that moment. And um, we've we've had three third party agreements. We've had two party agreements. Uh, and I think that from our standpoint, the ability to kind of work through that with those that may have an interest in participating and having uh, having an opportunity to, to collaborate on an NFT of that moment. Um, it's something that that I think builds community as well. And I would say that on campus, we've already had conversations with our art department on campus. I think there you'll see that there will be more moments that occur over the next you know, indefinite time period that we end up activating on-campus artists, students who can recreate a moment in their own eyes, with their own lens, with their own medium of art, whether it's digital, physical, uh, painting, drawing. Uh, and so I think, I think what that will do is that will allow for our, our sports and our athletes to impact a whole different audience than perhaps was impacted previous to this. Uh, and then everybody benefits from it. So I think it's pretty exciting. And if we can have that rev share split up before it even gets into campus walls, well, then that helps make things a lot easier for our business office on campus, because frankly, they're most concerned with what comes into the walls of campus uh, and that we're not divvying things up once they get onto campus. And so um, we're able to, to put some, some processes in place to help with that. That's great. And um, yeah, you kind of came into our last question really that uh, that looks at NIL and you know how that comes into play in all of this and you know what those revenue opportunities might be not just for Stephen F. Austin and, and what you're doing but in collegiate athletics in general for uh, schools that are participating in digital assets you know what what kind of revenue opportunities you might see for offering them a platform for their NFTs is there some there and then I know this probably wouldn't be the case in Texas because of the way the NIL law is written but in states where this is allowed, could you see revenue opportunities for the school for allowing athletes to license the university marks? Absolutely. I think, I think that, uh, and where it's headed, and you're right, I mean, as you mentioned in Texas, co-branding is not allowed. We do think that is probably going to change sooner rather than later. Um, and I think that uh, that's going to present a whole number of opportunities. And so I, I don't think I don't, I don't think the concern is, can you revenue generate? I think you can, and we've proven you can. I mean, we've, we've sold several dozen 
of NFTs since we started rolling out uh, our our platform and and the I think the first the first NFT moment even a year ago sold for a hundred dollars if I'm not mistaken in auction uh, the first uh, Duke moment sold for two hundred dollars in auction this year um, and so uh, I think that uh, um, I think the opportunity to revenue generate is there I think we just have to 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 really look at um, you know, how, how you leverage those relationships and how you make sure that the integrity of what you're putting out uh, is, is, is at for, foremost the, the concern. So, and actually I think both sold, I'll have to double check our records, but I actually think both sold for a hundred, if I'm not mistaken. So I oh. uh, hope I don't get those numbers wrong, but uh, we can, you can look at it on chain. It's right there uh, on the website. You can confirm all of it right there. So. Yep. Absolutely. One of the benefits of the blockchain. So well, Wally, I know uh, you may or may not know, but uh, the, the term news and brews, Katie and I named the podcast series uh, News and Brews, the brews side being that we like to visit craft brewers, breweries when we visit our clients and friends throughout the country. Um, that's evolved to where we talk about coffee as well and, and other beverages of choice. So um, just kind of finish things up today. Um, what are you enjoying either currently or plan to enjoy later on? Man, anytime I get a chance, it's our purple lights. Uh, that's... Uh... That's a product that we are very proud of. Um, that is a collaboration, a licensed collaboration here uh, with our brewery, the Fredonia Brewery here in Nacogdoches. So Purple Lights is uh, is always my go-to. How about you guys? Excellent. I mean, I, I love that uh, that's another revenue generator that's not traditional. And uh, we've previously had Maria Mocha, who's the AD at New Mexico State. They've also oh, yeah. got their own licensed brew. and. And he's got the collection and I kind of have collection <laughs> envy, but I, um, whenever I'm in Texas and have the ability to get a purple lights, I look forward to, uh, trying one out. Um, I am, well, Ken actually brewed some coffee in our office. We picked up, it's called uh, buddy brew coffee, which is in Tampa. Um, <laughs> not far from us. It's called Gasparilla roast, which is a rum barrel rested, um, coffee. So right now I'm drinking coffee. Um, and then of course I've been enjoying various brews now that it's summertime in Florida, but, um, I do have the brew envy though, with the different, uh, school licensed ones. I wish the ones here in Florida did that so that I could start collecting those. Well, and I'm, I'll finish it up with, uh, drinking the same coffee, uh, that Katie's drinking right now, which is excellent. And then I plan to drink a cosmic mountain from hot butcher, uh, which is a craft brewer out of Chicago. Um, probably finish up the evening with that. Nice. Well, I tell you, New Mexico State is doing some great things. I, I think part of their master plan is they will have their own grocery store that only, <laughs> that only sells their licensed yep. products. So uh, that's yeah. where I think they're headed. They just haven't told anybody yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look out, Amazon. New Mexico that's State it. coming right behind you. Well, thank you so much, Wally, for sharing your insights with us today. I, I can keep this conversation going much longer than what a typical podcast should be. So I'll go ahead and stop sure. now, but thank you. Oh, no, you're welcome. And thank you for, for having me. And I hope I was able to provide some insight that helps uh, as people begin to tackle this NFT opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Cheers. To learn more about the James Warren Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at jmcohighered 
and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving.